0: When I was in the third grade, I played for the first time on a baseball team that made it to the championship. It was a big deal because I've never been good at baseball at all. Uh, and if you know anything about baseball, there are nine spots in a lineup, all right? It's one through nine. I hit 11th in the order that year, all right? So if that gives you any idea, all right? In rec ball, they let everyone hit, and I was the last guy to hit, OK? So you could definitely say that I was an obstacle uh, to us winning. All right? I always got in the way of us winning. But this particular day, it was the championship game. We actually had to lose twice to the Bisons in order to lose the championship. So you feel great about that going Into it. We get murdered in the first game, absolutely trashed. Uh, In the second game, we're down. I don't remember how many runs, but we're down. Uh, There's one out left in the last inning. The bases are loaded, and I get up to the plate. And everyone starts leaving. I'm kidding. That's not true. But it was bad. It was very sad. And I struck out on three pitches, which is bad. Okay? If you don't know about baseball, it's embarrassing. Okay? All right. So I love baseball, but I've never been super good at it. Okay? And, uh, And I know what it's like to be like an obstacle, all right? To get in the way of something. All right? We all know we've all gotten in the way of stuff before. We all get that. Um, but what we want, uh, what I really kind of want to hone in on and focus in on this morning is what we can do to keep ourselves from being an obstacle to the gospel going forward in and around our community. We know that we don't want to get in the way of the gospel moving forward, of the kingdom moving forward uh, in and around us. And so we want to kind of focus in this morning on how we can be intentional about being a part of the movement that God is doing in and amongst us. And so in our passage this morning, Paul provides us, the apostle Paul provides us with two examples of men who made it their mission in life to move the gospel forward. Uh, two positive examples that we can see from Scripture about how not to get in the way of the gospel mission, how not to become an obstacle to the kingdom of God moving forward. And so uh, you can uh, turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 19. If you don't have your Bible, it's all right. It's going to be on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, uh, and we're going to begin in verse 19. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly after I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I'm going to use the word gospel a lot this morning, and I know a lot of us have grown up in church and we feel like we know what that word is, but I I don't want to take for granted. I know we probably have guests in here, maybe even your first time here. You may not have much of a context for church, and so I want to be really clear with what I'm saying when I say that. What we mean when we say move the gospel forward, when we're talking about the gospel, this is what we mean. That each of us were dead in our sin. That we're broken because of our sin. That we've all rebelled and turned against God. And we've all gone our own way. And because we're broken... God, and we couldn't have a relationship with God. God wanted to have a relationship with us. And so God became a man so that he could die for our sins, so he could pay a payment that we could never pay. And, and what we just sang about, that song, Graves into Gardens, is such a beautiful explanation of what this is, that what God is doing in the world, and he's taken what's dead because of our sin, what's been broken because of our sin, and God is making it alive in Christ. That God is making what's been broken whole again. And that's really what we mean by the gospel. And so when we say that the gospel is going forward, that we want to push the gospel forward in our community. What we mean is that we want to be a part of God taking what's dead and making it alive again. We want to connect people with Jesus because we believe when they connect with Jesus that their world changes, that he takes what's broken and he makes it whole again. He takes what's dead and he makes it alive. So when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about moving the gospel forward, that's what we mean. And so I don't want to take that for granted this morning. So our question this morning that will kind of be... uh, Moving off of this morning is what keeps the gospel from moving forward? What would cause us to be an obstacle to the furtherance and the and the moving forward of the gospel? And what we see first in verse 21 is that it would be an unwillingness to be selfless. An unwillingness to be selfless causes us to be an obstacle to the gospel going forward. Uh, In verse 21, Paul says, For they all seek after their own interests. He says that he can send Timothy to do the work of the gospel mission. He can send Timothy to do the work of the ministry that he needs done because he knows that Timothy will put the interest of other people before his own. He says that's not true with most people, that most people look out for their own interests, And we really know this is true about ourselves. If we would be willing to admit in this room this morning that really that's all of us most of the time, that we look out for our own interests. Have you ever like held the door open for somebody or that you've kind of done something nice for someone and they just kind of react crazy? Like they just, they are just like taken aback that you did something nice for them. Uh, We were in the grocery store a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now. And my dad and I walked in, I was helping him run an errand and there was a a lady walking in behind us. And so he just, you know, like pulled a buggy out for very like, Low level niceness. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like, kind of like bottom level nice stuff. She started crying. Like, she was like, I just can't believe you. someone would do something. I was like, what is wrong with the world today? Like, is everything okay, ma'am? Like, are you all right? Like, it just, but what's so crazy to me is that that's really the world that we live in that anytime you do something for someone, they expect that you want something in return for it. Because that's that's how our culture is. The truth is, that's our sin nature. That's not you know 2021 American culture, all dang. That's our sin. Our sin causes us to turn inward. And so if you feel like you don't look out for your self-interest, it's not because you're doing great, all right? It's God working in you. Because naturally, each and every one of us in our sin, we turn inward. We care for our own interest. We look out for ourselves. This is our sin nature. This is who we are apart from Christ. And so what Paul says is that if we are going to move the gospel forward, if we are going to be like Timothy, the example that he uses here, then we're going to have to be selfless. The truth is is that in our sin, we do what we want to do. Human nature is to do what pleases us, what seems best and easiest and most comfortable to us. If you remember the poem Invictus, it ends with two lines that I feel like kind of perfectly um, exemplify, kind of give a perfect example of what the human nature in this regard is. It says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is what the human existence, what the human nature is really all about. That says, I'm in charge. I'm in control. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And even as Christians, if we're not careful... We can see ourselves kind of begin to even believe this about our own walk with Christ, our own Christian life. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm in charge here. I'm in control. There are really two problems with that. First of all, it's a mirage. It's really not true at all. We like to believe that we're in control, but if you have kids, you know that that's not true, right? Like they're they're crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like you can do everything right, all right, and and still like people don't do what you want them to do, right? Like you're all you can say you're in control. You can believe that you're in control, but the truth is, is that we have way way less control over our lives than we like to believe. So first of all, that mindset is problematic because it's really not true. But secondly, having that mindset, this idea that I'm in control, that I'm the captain of my own soul, I'm the captain of my ship, the problem with that is that is in direct contradiction. It's an an obstacle to us having the mindset that it takes to push the gospel forward. It's in direct opposition to our ability to to push the kingdom forward, to help grow the kingdom uh, in the world around us. And this is why. Because the mission is not our mission. If I'm the captain of the mission, it's going to fail. The, ki- the mission's not our mission. It's the mission of Christ going out, going forward in all the world. And I'm not the captain, all right? I'm not in charge. You're not in charge. And so this kind of selfishness, this pride that puts us first, that makes our lives about us, it's in direct opposition of the gospel going forward. Uh, and this is why, because we will never go on mission if our lives are all about us, and I don't mean you'll never go on a mission trip. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you, pro- you could probably do that. People do that kind of thing. They go on mission trips for themselves. It's weird, but they do it. Um, but like, what I mean is you will not live your life on mission to help other people to know Jesus better. You will not give up your life for the cause of Christ unless you are doing it in a selfless way. There's Selflessness is a prerequisite to being able to live your life on mission. Sharing the gospel, making disciples, helping other people to know Jesus is hard work. Like, it is actually very difficult because you have to give a lot of yourself up to care for other people. And you know this. You think about the people you care for in your life. You have to give up things to care for them. Sometimes you have to not have it your way to love people. You have to be willing to give up your time and your energy and your effort in order to love and care for people. And if we are going to move the gospel forward in our area, if we're gonna move the gospel forward in the upstate, we're, it's gonna require that we give some things up. It's gonna require that we don't make our lives all about us. It's gonna require that we're not always comfortable and things are not always Easy. But Paul made it clear that Timothy did not look out for his own interests, that he was selfless. And this is really the key uh, about moving the gospel forward is that we're going to have to be selfless. Uh, and this is why that's true. Because you have to see people. You're gonna have to, we have to be intentional for this reason. Because in order to share with people, you have to see people. We're not just gonna stumble in to sharing the gospel with people. We're not just gonna naturally or accidentally have opportunities to help people to know Jesus better. We're gonna have to be intentional. You're gonna have to mean to do that. You're gonna have to mean to live your life on mission. The problem for most of us is that we have to see people to share with people. And unfortunately, most of the time, we are too distracted with our own stuff to see anyone, to look up and see anyone. See, we are too busy with our stuff, with the things that I have to do to look up and see the hurting people around me in my community. Most of the time, we are too distracted with the things that we want to do, to look up and see the people who don't know Jesus in our neighborhoods, on your kids' team, in your school, uh, in your, uh, on your hallway, in your own home. We're so busy and focused on ourselves, on what we wanna do, on what seems right to us, on what would be best to us, We're so focused on ourselves that we don't take the time to look up and see the people around us who need Jesus. If we're going to share the gospel with people, if we're going to help people to know Jesus, we're going to have to be intentional. We're going to have to be willing to look up and see people, to be selfless and put the interest of other people before ourselves. But secondly, we see that we can get in the way, we can be an obstacle uh, to the gospel going forward by an unwillingness to serve others, through an unwillingness to serve others. In verse 22, Paul says that Timothy has served with him as a father, as a son does to a father. He says that there's this this attitude of service in Timothy. And what we see is the kind of selfishness that we just talked about leads to an unwillingness to serve. If you make your life about yourself, then you're never going to be willing to serve other people. But but what um, Paul says is going to be an obstacle, get in the way, of us helping other people to know Jesus is an unwillingness to serve. We live in a culture, and again, this is kind of human nature, that says the way for you to be happy is to always strive to be the best, to try to get the most for yourself, to try to be first, to be on top, to achieve the most, that if you're gonna be happy, if you're gonna get what you wanna get out of life, then you're gonna have to work hard to always be best, to always be first, to always have the most. But what we see in his life and his ministry is that Jesus taught and modeled a completely different way. That Jesus had this kind of counterintuitive, countercultural idea of what it meant to be great. And I love the story that Mark records in his gospel about a time when two of his disciples, two of Jesus' disciples, their names were James and John and they were brothers, they came up to Jesus and they asked Jesus which of them would be sitting at his right hand in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. And I love that question, right? Because you're like, sometimes we don't get it, and we mess up, and we can be, you know, kind of stupid sometimes. And I love to read the Gospels and be like, they were idiots too. It's okay. Like, they didn't get it either. Like, they, they you know, they spent all this time with Jesus. They give up their lives to follow Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, I know you've talked a lot about like selflessness and caring for people, but like in heaven, which of us is going to be more important? Like, go ahead and lay it down for us, Jesus. We've been they're brothers, you know, so like I can see myself like arguing with my brother, being like, "No, Jesus loves me most. Like, like I'm going to be the one sitting at the right hand. Like, don't worry about it." And They get in this argument or something like that, and Jesus responds in in just the best way, the perfect way, obviously. And I love the way that he responds to their question. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus teaches this counterintuitive, this this upside-down way of living about the kingdom of God that says, if we are going to be great, If we're going to be all that God wants us to be, if we're going to really achieve greatly, it's not going to be by being the best. It's not going to be by making our lives about ourselves. It's not going to be about high achievement in this world. In reality, the way to be the best, the way to be greatest is to be least. The way to be first is to be last. Jesus says that actually the greatest among you is the one who is humble enough to get on his knees and serve. The one who is greatest among you is the lowest among you, the one who's willing to serve other people. Jesus didn't just teach this idea, though, but he also modeled it with his life, and that's what he's saying in the last verse in that passage. He says, "'The Son of Man,' and that's a title that Jesus uses for himself." comes from Daniel chapter seven. It basically means that God has given him all authority and dominion. And Jesus says, for even I, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life up as a ransom for many. And this is absolutely wild that the God of the universe would become a man. And if you thought about that, like if you were like God becoming a man, he must be in charge of everything on earth. Like he must have all the praise, all the adoration. He must be rich out of his mind. He's living in the best house in Neely farm. Like He's like, that'd be crazy, right? Um, but like like you're thinking like God, like, like if God becomes a man, he's getting everything. And Jesus says, no, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Not not to get everything for himself, but to give his life up as a ransom for many. And I want to stop here for a second and say, the way in which God in flesh, the way in which Jesus gave up his life. We, we can't do, right? Like, you're, like we're not capable of that. Jesus, b- God becoming a man in Christ, dying on the cross for our sins, this, what, this idea of being a ransom for many, of dying in our place, we can't do that, right? Like I could die on a cross for your sins, but it just wouldn't mean anything. Like it wouldn't count, right? Because like I'm not God, I'm not perfect. Like it, w- it just wouldn't mean anything. So we like Jesus did what only God could do. Only God can die for your sins, Like only God can pay the payment for your sins. So uh, what I'm not saying, we're about to talk about how we can model our lives after Christ. You can't do that, all right? Like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't possibly do all that Jesus did. But what we do see is that Jesus lived his life sacrificially. He made it clear that his mission in the world is to give his life up for the sake of others. And so as we try to model our lives after Christ, we need to be willing to give our lives up for the sake of others. Even though you and I cannot die for people's sins, we can give up our lives to connect them with the one who did die for their sins. So we, in in a response to the love and grace that we have been shown by Jesus, we live our lives in that example We live our lives to show other people that love and that grace, and we live our lives as a sacrifice to give up our lives for the sake of another. That's what it really means to be a servant. And so even though you and I can't pay for the sins of other people, we can't give up our lives to connect them to the one who did. And in our passage this morning, Paul commends Timothy for doing that, for giving up his life to serve, namely Paul, to serving him, um, to help the gospel mission go forward, for being willing to serve him like a son does the father. And this is why Timothy is not an obstacle uh, to the mission of God moving forward, because he's willing to do whatever it takes. He's willing to do the job that no one else wants to do. He's willing not to be the number one guy. He's willing not to have the limelight or to get all the credit. Um, Timothy is willing to be a servant. And what I want you to see is that the work that moves the gospel forward is often in the shadows, it's in the everyday. And we have this idea. I work with middle, high school, and college students all day, every day. And I love when, like, like students get a hold, God gets a hold of students' hearts. They're like, I just want to do something big for God. Like they have all these big ideas. And and really, what it means to do all that God has called us to do is not to do some big thing for God. The truth is, is Jesus has already done that. He's already done the big thing. What it really means to be faithful is to do it in the everyday. To do it in your dorm room, to do it in your class, to do it at your workplace, to serve people in your neighborhood, to serve people at your dinner table, to care for the people that no one else cares about. To sacrifice what you want and what seems right to you so that others can have and and so that others can be connected to Jesus. See, service says that I am willing to step out of the limelight to not make it about me and to make it about other people, and more importantly, to make it about God. And so the work that moves the gospel forward for the grand majority of believers looks more like serving with kids' worship, and I am telling you, you should do that, all right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm being for real. You really should serve with kids' worship. Or like serving with host teams out of the lobby or serving people in your neighborhood or at your dinner table than it does like looking like being on a stage. Most of the time, serving Christ, being a, pushing the gospel mission forward, won't look big and in the lights. It will look small and down on your knees. Most of the time, pushing the gospel mission forward will not be grand. Uh, it, it won't be in a crowd, but more than likely, it'll be with the individual. It'll be on the, with the one. See, pushing the gospel mission forward is more about service uh, than it is being on a stage. And we have to be willing to not make it about us, to give up the light, to give up um, the, the number one spot and be willing to serve other people. So we know that selfishness and an unwillingness to serve can get in the way of moving the gospel forward. But lastly, we see that we can be an obstacle through an unwillingness to suffer for Jesus, an unwillingness to suffer In verses 26 and 27, we find out that there's a man that's been sent to Paul named Epaphroditus, and he got sick to the point of almost dying while he was trying to serve Paul. I want to give us just a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul started uh, this group of churches in a city named Philippi. Um, These Christians here love Paul. Paul moved on. As he moved on a little while later, he was imprisoned for his faith. Paul's writing this letter from prison Evidently, when the, the Christians in Philippi heard that Paul had been in prison, they wanted to do something to serve him, to love him, to show them that they cared about him. And so they took up some kind of gift. We don't know exactly what. Most people either believe some kind of monetary or physical gift. And they sent this gift with Epaphroditus to Paul. And it was kind of a two-handed gift, both the monetary or physical gift and the, the presence of Epaphroditus to serve him and care for Paul and help him to push the gospel forward. This is what's so cool about Paul, and this is going to be a sermon later on, and I'm not going to steal Dallas and Thunder. Um, but Paul is in prison, and he still wants to push the gospel forward. Like, he's like, this guy's chained to me. He literally can't leave. Like, like I get to say what I want to to him because he has to stay here with me. Like, it's amazing. Like, Paul's like, it's great. I love it because he's a captive audience. So, like, they send Epaphroditus to Paul because Paul is still trying to push the work and the movement of the kingdom of God forward, and he needs help to do that. And so they send Epaphroditus with him well evidently when he was there he somehow got really sick and this sickness led almost to him dying Paul says God gave him grace and and he, he didn't uh he did not die but Paul is now sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians because Epaphroditus is upset he's distressed because they might be worried about him and all this and so you may be like why did Paul include this in this letter was that that important and surely why are we talking about it this morning right But what we see from the Apostle Paul in the example of Epaphroditus is someone who is willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. It was really intentional on the part of Paul. He says that he he got sick. He suffered for the sake of Christ, that it was for Christ. It was for the mission of God that he suffered. Look back with me and we'll read the verse word for word. Verse 30 said he nearly died for the work of Christ that it was for the work, it was for the mission, it was for the uh, furtherance of the kingdom of God that he was willing to die. See, Epaphroditus was not turned off by the prospect of illness or sickness or even physical death. He was willing to make that sacrifice if that's what it took. He was willing to make that sacrifice if that's what God was calling him into. And see, for all of us, suffering really comes down to pain and loss. Suffering is about pain and and loss. For you, it may not be physical illness like Epaphroditus. And hey, it may be, all right? And if it is, we need to be willing to suffer through the physical pain that God has brought into our lives, or at least allowed into our lives uh, for the sake of Christ. That might be what it is, just like Epaphroditus. But for many of us, it may not be exactly like this. See, for us, suffering is about pain, and it's about loss. And so that may mean that there are some things you're going to have to give up in your life. To suffer for Jesus may be to give up some things that you really love or some things that you really want. We're all called to suffer for the gospel mission and being willing to suffer for Jesus means being willing to push through pain and loss to move the kingdom further. And I love what theologian David Frayne said in reference to this passage. He said, we like the idea of service so long as it does not involve suffering. We are happy to give and to go as long as we do not have to step outside our comfort zones to do it. The call of radical discipleship is a call to submit to the will of God in Christ, even if doing so demands a deep and lasting cost. See what it really means to follow Jesus, to love God with all your heart. What it really means to go all in is to say, I don't care what it's going to cost me. Uh, it doesn't matter to me if there's suffering on the other side, if there's pain and there's loss. What, if It doesn't matter to me if I have to give things up. I am going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to give everything I have for Jesus. And I'm going to give up my life so that other people can know Jesus no matter what the cost. No matter what. It's going to take for me to do that, to accomplish that mission. And what I want you to hear and there's this kind of toxic form of Christianity that says if you follow Jesus, everything in your life will be great and happy. I want you to hear this because I think this is clear from Scripture. The, high, the thing that's most likely is if you try to follow Jesus and if you try to pursue Jesus and if you try to help people to know Jesus, the most likely thing is that you will suffer, you will have to give things up. It is going to demand a deep and lasting cost. That's what it cost us. It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. And if we're going to follow after his example, it's going to cost us ours too. We're going to have to be willing to give it up to love people, give it up to follow Jesus. And so the question then as we wrap up is what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us to love like that? To be willing to suffer and to lose and to give up like that. I think for most of us, it might look something like this. A pastor named Tim Keller um, said something that totally just changed the way that I thought about things and changed my uh, heart in a big way in this context. He said that we have a tendency to make good things ultimate things. For most of us, the problem will not be that you center your life around terrible, sinful things actually, the devil's a lot sneakier and trickier than that. Like, it's actually a lot more subtle than that. What the problem will be for most of us is that we will take good things, things like your job, uh, your hopes and dreams, your family, your career aspirations, um, the big house that you want for your kids, the pool that you want in your backyard. He'll take all the good things. Those aren't bad things. Those are all fine things. He'll take things like money and, and ambition, things that aren't necessarily inherently bad. But what we do, what our sin does, is we take good things and we make them ultimate things. We make them number one. We center our lives around things that were not meant to be centered around. We make the number one thing in our lives something that we were not meant to hope, on, hope in and depend on and find satisfaction in. The way that Tim Keller says it is that our hearts are idol making factories. It's what they do, it's what sin is. Sin in our heart makes everything an idol. What we do when we do that is we take God off the throne of our heart. We we remove God from the place in our life where he deservedly sits and we put something else in that spot. And so for us, what suffering might be for us this morning and saying, God, I know that there are some good things that I've made ultimate things and I'm going to suffer the loss of those things this morning. I'm willing, God, to live my life open-handed so that God, my family is in my hand and I, you know that I don't want you to do anything to, to mess with my family or to touch my family. But you know what, God, I trust you even with them. Even with the most important thing in my life, I'm living open-handed to say, God, I trust you. Whatever you want to do. Well, Growing up, like I can remember hearing people in church say, um, I love my kids and I would be so happy for them to do anything. I just hope that God doesn't send them halfway across the world. And I I know that people mean well when they say stuff like that. They love their kids. We have to look at everything in our life as God's because it is. Everything that you have, it's not yours. Like everything that I have, I I didn't earn it. It's not mine. God has given me everything that I have. And so what I ought to do as an act of worship, what I must do if I can see it rightly, if I can see it rightly, what I will do is I'll say I'll live my life open-handed To say, God, everything in my life is yours, and you do what you want to with it. God, if you want to send me and my family halfway across the world, then I'm in. God, I I don't know what the cost is going to look like. I don't know how far we're going to have to go. I don't know how much I'm going to have to give up. There are a lot of good things in these hands. I love them, but they're not going to be ultimate things in my heart. God, you can take them all. You can have them. Because if we are going to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, if we're going to be willing to suffer to move the gospel mission forward, then it's going to have to be us saying, God, you take it all. It's all yours. And the reason we can do that is because it's all his anyway. It was his to begin with. And so what we see is that we, I know this is true about you. I know that you don't want to be an obstacle to the mission of God going forward. I, I know that none of us want to get in the way of the mission. And what I want to end on is this. Um, I don't want you to get in the way, but the truth is, is that you and I, we can't get in the way of the gospel mission anyway. God, God is going to do what he wants to do one way or the other. God does not need me. He does not need us. God is not so helpless that like, he's like, oh man, if the HB people do not get on their horse, I have no plan B. Like, like, we are not going to be able to accomplish the plan of the gospel of Jesus Christ without these people. Like, that's not the case, all right? God doesn't need us. The amazing thing is that even though God does not need us, he wants to use us. So I'm not begging you to be a part of this because we're not going to be able to do this without you or that God's not going to be able to do it without us. I want you to be a part of this because I do not want you to miss it. The train is leaving one way or the other, and I want to get on it. I want you to get on it. I I don't want you to miss out on the only thing in this life that has an eternal impact. The only thing in this life that's bigger than me, that can go beyond just my lifetime. You can be a part of moving the gospel mission forward, of, of growing the kingdom of God in the upstate. You can be a part of that. You can give your life up for that. And my prayer is that that's exactly what you would do. We say that this church exists, that the reason this church exists, the reason we are gathered together as a group of people is to connect people in the upstate with Jesus to change their world. Because we believe that when we connect people with Jesus, everything changes. And so my prayer for you is that you would be willing, you would say, you know what? I want to give up my life for that mission. I'm in. Like, whatever it's gonna cost me, whatever whatever I have to give up, whatever amount of selflessness or service it's going to require, I'm in. I want to be a part of that mission. That's my prayer for you. And even as we pray, if there, if there are obstacles, there are things in the way of you feeling that way, of you going all in, then man, surrender those to Jesus this morning. Lay those at his feet. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity just to be here and worship with your people. God, all I can think about are the the words of the psalmist, who am I that you are even mindful of me, that you even know my name? God, even further that you know every hair on our head, God. We're undeserving to get to be a part of this, God, but you want us to be a part of your mission. You want to bring us into this ministry of reconciliation to take what's dead in the world and make it alive by your power and through the work of your spirit. And so, God, I pray that we would jump in we would go all in, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room who can't be a part of that mission because they've never uh, began a relationship with you, God, if there's anyone here who who has never been brought from death to life, they've never turned from their sins and turned to a life in you, God, I pray that they would do that tonight. They would do that today. They would do that even right after the service, Lord. I pray that whatever we need to lay down, we would be willing to do it. We love you and in your name we pray, amen.